Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name's Andy. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great to see you. You may or may not be aware we've had some technical challenges this morning. So the uh, pictures behind might be slightly skew. I'd like to turn, please, to Matthew uh, chapter 26, and I'm going to read a few verses that will no doubt be familiar to you. Um, So here we are. Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go to the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. They sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. I guess whether you're a Christian or not, here this morning, um, you'll be familiar in some way with uh, communion, with the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't know if we've got any, we don't have any pictures. But uh, if you, you might know uh, the Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper. Have you seen that picture? I'm sure you have. A very famous picture painted at the end, end of, uh, I think it was the, the 1490s, something like that. So hundreds of years old, but incredibly familiar, beautiful picture. It's, it's this. It's what we've just read. That's what, they, that's what Leonardo was doing. He was painting a picture because he realized, along with many others, that this moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples was very, very important. It was a highlight moment, a key moment, something for us to do, something for us to believe, something to take away. And that is certainly true. And Christians all over the world do what was happening right here, do what Jesus was telling them to do. They do it in all kinds of ways, and they do it with all sorts of traditions. Some would call it uh, the Lord's Supper. We tend to call it communion. Others might call it the Eucharist or the Mass. Um, most of us would have come acro- across this meal or ceremony in some way or another. Who's, who's been part of this in a, in a different church tradition than this one? Quick show of hands. I know I have in many different churches and different traditions. I, I guess most of us will have done that. Maybe at school you saw it, you went and watched it done somewhere. Maybe you've walked into church and seen it done. Most denominations, as I say, they do this and they all do it a bit differently. Some do it with great ceremony. And you might have been part of that. I remember being in a Catholic church and just the whole meeting is the mass. It's all about this and all the 
kind of the different incense. I think those priests should get a medal because I was sitting at the back and I was choking on the incense and I'm thinking they're standing there every day and it's right in their face. How on earth they do it, I have no idea. Uh, but they do it and they're doing it to be in an attempt to be faithful to what is happening right here in this passage. And so do we. Some, as I say, with special clothes, some with special prayers, special timing, special blessings, special people conducting the ceremony. Some argue, actually, it should be much more normal. Some would say it should be in the home, should be around a meal. Surely that's what was happening here in Matthew 26. It's just in somebody's home, and that's how we should do it. And yet others would say, no, it can only be administered by a, an ordained priest who says particular prayers. So a, a huge variety of ways to express what's happening here. And we, of course, have our own tradition. Uh, it might, be, might, hear, it might be, sound strange to you when I say it's a tradition, but it is. We have our own tradition of how we do it. And we have tables at the side once a month. And we have bread and juice. Um, uh, and that's how we do it. Uh, and of course, some of our uh, connect groups, they would do it in, in their homes. And all of that is wonderful. But we do need to look at this uh, kind of seriously. Um, and we need to just consider what's actually happening here. And I guess it's one of those moments that we think, we think we know everything about it because we do it all the time. And yet maybe there's more for us here. There certainly has been as I've been looking at this in the last few days. As I say, we tend to do this once a, uh, once a month. Others do it every week. Some would never do it in a big meeting like this. Some would just say it needs to be done at home. But it is all a serious attempt to be faithful to this. Now, of course, we tend to read this little passage from 1 Corinthians. So Paul is now retelling this story to the, the church in Corinth. And this is what he says to them. For what I received from the Lord is what I passed also unto you. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's the thing. There's an instruction right there. Do this. Do this thing. It wasn't a once-off. He's instructing us to go ahead and do it more often. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And there's something of a, an obedience and a proclamation. There's a telling this story again and again and again. And in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine, there are things for us to understand about what Jesus has done. Of course there are. That's what these symbols mean. That's what it is. But there's probably more depth to it than we've considered. Maybe not you, but certainly there was for me. This meal that Jesus is engaged in, in Matthew 26, was a Passover meal. It was already an ancient celebration. So he was doing something that people had done for many hundreds of years, and he was doing it with his disciples, and it was called the Passover. And so that's what, when, it, when he said, go and prepare the Passover, that's what he meant, go and get ready for this meal. Uh, and there were many elements to a Passover meal. Of course, contemporary Jews still do this every year, and they, you, know, you can find out all about how they do it and why they do it and what they do fairly easily. The, the Passover meal has many elements to it. And depending how serious you are about it, some have slightly more, some have slightly less, but there's bits in this meal that remind those taking the meal of some of the struggles that the Israelites went through, particularly as they broke out of slavery in Egypt, as Moses led them in the Exodus. And they were important reminders of what God did. Some are bitter, some bitter times that the nation had to go through, tears 
was shed as part of, uh, of part of that process. In fact, have you ever thought about, you know, that, but in the story we read there at the beginning, Jesus said, whoever I, I, I dip uh, into the bowl, what was happening there? Well, that's part of this meal, and part of that dipping would be this, that, that if you go to a, a, a Passover now, you would all dip into uh, what is a bitter herb, and, and they tend to use uh, um, uh, horseradish. And they dip in, and they eat it, and what does horseradish do if you take a spoonful of it? Well, it brings tears to your eyes. And that's the point of it. And that's what Jesus was saying. So one of you who has wept with me around this meal is going to betray me. And Jesus is saying, look, there is, there is, there is a contradiction going on in your heart right now. You're sharing some of the pain of what we've been through as a nation, but actually you're going to add to that pain. And so when Jesus says, one of you who has dipped with me is going to betray me, that's what was happening at the time. Go home and try a spoonful of horseradish. See what it does to you. You've got a cold, it does wonders, but actually uh, cleans you out, doesn't it? It tends to make your eyes water. And that was the point of it, so that's what they were saying. And there are many layers uh, during this meal, and that's what these disciples and Jesus would have been doing together. They were reminding people. There's a bit in there that reminds them that God is a giver of life. And that's, again, part of how they celebrate the Passover. And while we're not going to go through all of these, we should emphasize, we should draw out the two things that Jesus drew out. We should do what he did, and he talked about the bread and he talked about the wine. And we should look at that in the light of the meal that they're having together, just to see what there is for us in there. Well, the first thing we realize is that the Passover was this tradition, and the Lord's Supper is born out of that ceremony. It's actually, it, it, that was what Jesus intended. He is kind of bringing it into the new covenant, saying, this is, you've done this for hundreds of years, and now I'm giving you something new to do, but it's actually part of this tradition, this history, part of this telling of this story. I'm now telling you what the story really was all about. It's kind of saying, well, you, 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 this led you to this moment. Yes, it was about this exodus, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's more about who I am and what I'm about to do. And I'm going to do the thing that the exodus was pointing towards all the time. Jesus was the greater and better and fuller expression of what this meal was celebrating all along. The Passover meal included unleavened bread, that is flatbread, bread without yeast. And there was a reason that they had to do that. Of course, uh, we probably know some of the story. We did it a couple of years ago here in the church of the Exodus and Moses leading uh, the Israelites out of slavery. And when they were, when they were in slavery for about 400 years, um, finally Moses came on the scene and God said, right, we're going, to, we're going to get these people out of slavery. We're going to leave Egypt. And he gave uh, Pharaoh, who was the king over Egypt, he gave him 10 chances, 10 opportunities to let the people go and then and those 10 chances were 10 plagues and you're probably familiar with them I think I did them at school and there was all the various plagues the river turned to blood there were frogs and boils and locusts all sorts of things that we're probably familiar with and then there was a final plague and the final plague which we'll talk about a little bit later meant that the Israelites had to leave very quickly and that's the point of the bread without yeast let's read what it says here in Exodus chapter 12 back in that story of the, uh, 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 of the Israelites leaving Egypt. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. They had to get out and they had to get out quickly. 
And if you know anything about making bread, I'm looking out, I know some of you do, and you might just do it in a bread maker, but some of you will probably have made bread. Uh, you know that you put a little bit of yeast in, and if you leave it long enough, the thing rises up. I used to, I used to be the donut man at the Bible Weeks many years ago. I used to make, didn't, you know, not looking like a donut, but <laughs> making donuts. <clears throat> the two are related, actually. But um, <laughs> what you have to do is you make the dough, and then you leave it to prove, and you put the, in the mix is, is, is yeast. And if you leave it for a few hours, the yeast, the thing will swell up to four or five times its original size. It's remarkable. And I'm sure some of you have done that, and you'll remember that that happens. They, that takes time. What they didn't have was time. They had to get out and get out quick. So the instruction was, make bread, but don't put any yeast in it. Make bread so it's flat. And you get a particular type of bread, which I'm sure you'd be familiar with, if you do that. Now, there's more to it than that. It was more about, more than just speed. And of course, this is also symbolic. It's also a metaphor. It tells us something else that's happening here. Throughout the Bible, yeast is, uh, it refers to sin. And what is happening here is we're getting more than just a cookery lesson. We're getting an understanding of how sin works in the life of an individual. And Paul writes at the end of the church in Corinth, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 5, your boasting, he says, is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you can be the new unleavened bread, the new batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So what Paul is saying, and what Jesus actually said when he warned people of the yeast of the Pharisees, he says a little bit of sin works its way through the whole batch. And when you do make bread, you realize it's just a few tiny grains of mustard. That's all it needs. A few seeds, and the whole batch is affected. And what happens at this Passover meal is they were just representing that in how they made the bread. And as they celebrated that over the years, they were recognizing that fact again and again and again. They were reminding themselves it only takes a little bit to affect everything. It's warning them. It's reminding them. It's telling them a story. And we should take lessons from that we should learn something from that I think we can think sometimes well it's okay to play around with sin it's, it doesn't matter if I just watch this or just do that if I just say this or if I just compromise here and here we're getting a story a symbol that says no it isn't okay it will affect you and we're going to come onto the seriousness of that in a moment but we see that it works its way through the whole batch is affected just like dough rising next time you watch it rise let it be a lesson let it teach you something that's what it's supposed to do. You're supposed to see it and feel it and smell it and, yeah, I see what it does and be warned. And that's what's happening here in this meal. Actually, there's more to it even than that because part of the preparation for a Passover, and again, contemporary Jews will tell you this, is that they have to clean the house out of all of the yeast. Uh, so when Jesus said to the disciples, or the disciples said to Jesus, where do you want us to make preparations for you? That's what the preparations were. They've got to prepare the house. They've got to go through the house top to bottom and make sure there is no yeast in the house. In fact, there's a little ceremony. It's the man of the house, apparently, who has to declare the house clean and the ceremony can then continue. And he has to go around with a little feather and just kind of check. They even hide a bit of yeast in the house. It's a bit of fun for the family to do. But it's telling a story. We don't get much of that because we don't do that. But that's part of what Jesus is starting. Part of what he's saying here, he's saying you've got to get rid of yeast. The yeast has to go. Sin has to be dealt with. If you're going to receive Christ, sin's got to be gone. You can't just have Christ and everything else. Christ is not an add-on. 
It's not just, well, I haven't got my nice life and it's fine and yeah, I sin a bit here. No, it has to be dealt with. Someone has got to deal with your sin if you're going to receive Christ, literally. If you're going to take this unleavened bread, as Paul said, if you're going to take this bread into yourself, then someone has to deal with the, the sin, the yeast that is affecting the whole batch. And that's, of course, what Jesus said there in Matthew 26. To take and eat. Take it into yourself. So when we take bread, as we do this on a Sunday morning from time to time, or if you do it in your connect groups, you're, you're taking it into yourself. What happens to food when you eat it? I don't want a biology lesson here. But it becomes part of you, and you become part of it. And the phrase is, you are what you eat, isn't it? Have you heard that phrase? You are what you eat. And, and that's part of this meal. It's, I'm, taking, I'm doing something physical. I'm reminding myself of what has actually happened here. I am part of this family. I'm part of Christ. And that's why sometimes we take one loaf and break it open in front of us. We remember, and then we all eat it. I'm part of this one body. And of course, there is also a preparation that we're told to do even when we approach the table in communion. Examine your hearts, it says. That's exactly what they were doing at the Passover meal. They're examining the home. And what do you examine your hearts for? To take it in an unworthy manner. What we're doing when we, when we break one loaf and we celebrate together, we're saying we're one in Christ. We're saying we're celebrating the family that is forgiven. We're celebrating our unity under the forgiveness of Christ. We don't stand accused. We don't stand condemned. We are a forgiven people. We are one body in Christ. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's uniting. And the warning is this. So how ridiculous would it be if when we're celebrating, having a party, a celebration, a ceremony to remember that, that we would hold grudges against each other? That would be ludicrous. That would be hypocrisy. That would be dangerous. So the warning is, to, is not to do that. And it's all part of this ceremony. It's coming out of this Passover ceremony to get the house clean, to make sure that when, you, when you're ready to receive Christ, of course, we don't cleanse ourselves of sin, but we do walk in step with Christ and reminding ourselves to keep in step with what he has already done for us. The Passover bread facilitated the exodus from Egypt. It made the escape possible. Christ's broken body makes our escape from sin possible. It makes it a possibility. If we take him into ourselves, if we say, yes, I want part of this. I want to be part of this story. I want what, who you are to be part of me. And as you eat bread, you're reminding, you're reminding yourself of that as we take that meal together. Deeply sim symbolic, deeply practical, and yet an everyday activity. It's a brilliant, it's actually brilliant. It really is. That's what we're doing when we take the bread. Jesus, of course, also took the cup. That was the other thing that we see that he took out of this Passover meal. Now, here's the deal. Some of you will know this, I'm sure. The Passover, there are four cups. <laughs> so which cup did Jesus take? There are four cups in a, four cups. Four cups in a Passover meal. That's right, four cups. I'll tell you what they are. There's the, the cup of sanctification. And as they take this cup as part of this meal, they say, I'll bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. They're reminding themselves that God has brought them out, has made them clean, has taken them out from under the burden of, of, uh, of their judgment, of their uh, slavery. The second cup is the cup of judgment, where God says, I will deliver you. I'm going to bring a judgment. I'm bringing an end to this. I will deliver you out of bondage to Egypt. The third cup 
is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment, promises God. And then the final cup is the cup of praise. I will, I will, t- I will, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. That's something that the Bible is full of, telling us he will be our God, we will be his people. Now, when we, which, what, what do we do? Well, we kind of celebrate all those things when we take the cup. Jesus, it seems, in that meal would have taken the third cup, the cup of redemption, and, and given it to them all and said, take and drink. This is my blood. I'm redeeming you. I'm doing it now. Not remembering something that's happened. I'm now bringing it into the immediate, and I'm doing something that's not both for now and for all time. I'm changing history even in this moment as we celebrate this meal together. Jesus said, drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So what was he talking about in relating to that Passover meal that he was sharing? Well, the final plague, the final warning, the final moment uh, for for, uh, the Israelites as they were going to escape from Egypt was a terrible it was a terrible plague. It was the angel of death that would come and take the firstborn son of every household in the land. And our modern ears, when we hear that, we just think, how could that possibly be? That seems like a terrible, terrible price to pay. And there are many parts of the Old Testament that leave us, what was happening? What on earth is this? And sometimes we can, we can get a bit self-righteous and we can bring our judgments down on what we think God might or might not have been doing and what you think he was playing out at the time because our modern minds and ears are tuned that way. This is what we're supposed to take from it. Sin is absolutely deadly and it will kill you. It will finish you. So all the time we transfer that shock and horror back into history or back onto God anywhere other than taking it as a warning for us personally, we're missing the point. Sin will finish you. Can't play with it. It's deadly. It's absolutely deadly. It will be judged and it will be judged justly. That's what's happening here in the Exodus. And what was promised was the angel of death will move through the land to every household. And unless the ceremony is performed, the firstborn son in each house is going to die. And that is, of course, what happened. And that's why the Egyptians wanted them out and out quickly. That facilitated their exit from the land. That's why they couldn't wait for their bread to rise because they were being told, get out and get out now. It's too much. You need to leave. That's telling us something about the nature of sin and the nature of God's forgiveness of us. So what actually were they supposed to do? Well, let's read it here in Exodus chapter 12. So the whole community of Israel, on the day, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, and each one for each household. The animal you choose must be a year-old male without defect. You must take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, uh, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight together. They must uh, take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house, and, when, and then they are to eat the lambs. Um, and that's what they were supposed to do. They were to, to slaughter a perfect lamb, year old, without defect, and put blood on the top and on the sides. And uh, kind of the, the Jews today that believe in Jesus will tell you that they put blood at the top and they put blood on the sides. They're making a cross in their door as they do this. And as the angel of death came through the land, it passed over every house that had the blood of the lamb 
on the door and on the doorposts. And that's telling us something about what Jesus has done. Is that this sin is terrible and it will be punished. But in order to avoid that punishment, we need to come under the blood of the Lamb. It needs to be for us. I need that. I need that same thing. And of course, we don't do it like they did it. We have a better sacrifice than just a year old lamb. We have the Son of God who did the same thing. He was the perfect example. That was a, that was a picture. This was the real thing happening here in Matthew 26. This was the actual lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and the Jews who kind of got this, they recognized it. And, and that, someone said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away. That. He, he was telling the story of the Passover. He was reminding them, this, you've done this so many times. Do you not see what's happening now? The perfect Lamb has appeared. And so when we come to communion, we're not just painting the blood on the doorpost. We say, no, I need it. I need it in, in me. I need, to, I need to take it on board. This, this blood is shed for me. And actually, we don't, tend to, we don't use wine, but when you, when you drink a good bottle of wine, when you drink a glass of wine, and it's supposed to be like this, you feel it working its way through you, don't you? It's supposed to do that. Reminds you, wow, God is working in me. The powerful hand of God is upon me. The Holy Spirit is working his salvation out in and through me. That's part of the symbol of communion. It's telling the story of the Passover, that, that the sentence of death has passed over you something to celebrate so what is this thing that we do once a month here kind of quickly sometimes at the end of a meeting well this is a serious celebration it's very british actually isn't it serious and a celebration yeah we'll do we'll do a bit of both that's we like it that way don't we it's a serious celebration yes it is serious with all the things that we've talked about and many many more actually but it's also a celebration. And sometimes we don't quite know how to do that. How do you do serious and then, and then celebration at the same time? And I guess all the different ways that different denominations and churches try and do this is to try and express something of that. You see, it's more than just a symbol. It's more than just an exercise. It's a means of grace. It's a way to approach God. It's a way to... to, to, to to grow as a believer is to do this together and all the things that go with it. I think maybe here at City Church, we haven't treated it quite the way we could. Maybe we could do a bit more. And what we'd like to do in the next weeks and months is just try a few things and see if we can make this more of that serious celebration, recognizing the depth and breadth of what has happened. Doing a bit more when, when, when Paul said that you're proclaiming his death until he comes. We're serious about helping Bristol believe we're serious about holding out the gospel, reminding ourselves of the breadth and depth of what he's done. This is a God-given instruction as to part of how we do that. So we're going to do it a bit more often, and we're going to experiment a little bit with how it, how it goes until we find a way. This, this actually reflects something more of this scriptural instruction to seriously celebrate what Jesus has done. We want to remember Jesus. We want to proclaim him, don't we? We want to proclaim him. We want to proclaim him in Mozambique. We want to proclaim him in Bristol. We want to proclaim him in fish ponds and the south of the river and Bradley Stoke and every place that God puts us. Proclaiming Jesus. Proclaiming what? That sin is dealt with. That you can know God. You can actually be part of a family, part of, like one loaf. You can be part of this one thing that God has done. That you can take the very life of God 
into yourself by the Holy Spirit and know the power of God in your life, like, like, like drinking a glass of wine. We want to do that and do it seriously and celebrate God together. Let's stand and pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the way that you've told us to celebrate this together. I pray, help us to do this well in our homes and in our connect groups, with our families around meals, but also together corporately. When we, when we come together to celebrate you, to make much of Jesus, to tell this, this wonderful story of being released from our sin. Thank you for dealing with it finally, profoundly and completely. Thank you, Jesus, that you have finished sin in us. Thank you, Lord God, that I will never suffer the punishment for my terrible sin because you have suffered the terrible punishment for it. I thank you, Jesus, that's true for each of us that loves you and follows you. Lord, I want to be part of that. And I pray for each of us that we would embrace all that you've done together. Amen.